If you want to hear about what the future face of travel might look like post-coronavirus, ask someone who travels for a living. That's what we did when we sat down with travel journalist Helen Hatzes to ask what she thinks travel might look like. I think I'm going to be taking more um, like road trips in my car, um, maybe camping being you know, uh, one with nature. We also talked to Helen about her charity work and what she loves about her hometown of Toronto, a place that's special to us as well. And because we have this amazing sort of mosaic of, um, you know, this population of people from different parts of the world, you can really experience that when you go to dinner. Like there's Greek town, there's Chinatown, there's little Portugal, little Italy. Hear what the future may hold for travelers and experience a taste of Toronto on World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Helen Hatzes is a travel journalist who wears many hats. Her peers call her a rock and roll strategist, which really means she's a smart cookie. Helen received a Governor's General Award for her extensive community work over the last two decades. And she was recognized as one of Canada's nicest persons by Roots Canada, celebrating Canada's 150th birthday in 2017. Welcome, Helen. How are you doing? Hi guys, I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, good, we're good, good. <laughs> Excellent. You know, I was just thinking just a few weeks ago, you and I were sitting on a beach in Sanibel Island, enjoying cocktails and beautiful food. And the world has just really changed that much in just a matter of a few weeks. Yeah, we were literally sitting next to each other, <laughs> not wearing masks or you know, worried about any social or physical, uh, pro, you know, distancing. It, it's it's so weird. You're right. Since I've last seen you, the world has kind of flipped upside down. You're a fellow travel journalist and a content provider for Trip Jaunt. Mm-hmm. How is that working out at this time, given that we're not traveling? Yeah. So, you know what, that's, that's a great question, because how does a travel journalist continue to <laughs> to write about travel? So basically what I've been focusing on is the unique stories that are happening in nature, like the, the, the blue neon waves that are happening across the, uh, the coast of California or the influx of pink flamingos, you know, headed to, to, to Mumbai. So I'm focusing on stories like really interesting new stories like that. Because traditionally, with Trip Jump, we do not write about places that we haven't actually experienced. So if we haven't been there, we're not going to write about it because we can't really recommend it then, can we? So that's my focus right now. Now, have you found some creative ways to keep travel alive, whether it's professionally or personally, or even if those two things are one and the same? Yeah, so my favorite thing to do right now is virtual travel. And there's a lot of really interesting websites that offer, you know, like the Carlsbad Caverns, like you could take a guided tour and they've done such a wonderful, like wonderful production job of taking you there. So you kind of feel like you're in it. And so that's what I've been doing to, you know, to, to appease my, my travel appetite <laughs> at this time. 
which, which I'm sure like ours is um, very, very strong. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm starving. I'm I know. Starving How are you faring? Because, you know, I know you probably travel, uh, like I, I know I travel a lot, but I know you travel maybe, maybe more than I do. So how are you faring with all of that? Um, I'm I am keeping it moving forward uh, despite, but I'm I'm very um, I'm eager I'm eager to to head out again, and I know we can't right now, and it's yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the day when we can go exploring responsibly. Yes, absolutely. That's the key word. Absolutely. So what? What do you think travel is going to look like for us post-coronavirus? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that um, just from my own personal experience. What is that going to look like for me? And I think I'm going to be taking more um, like road trips in my car, um, maybe camping being, you know, uh, one with nature. Uh, but for the, for the general public, I, you know, it's such a great, such a good question because I, I battle that every day. What is that going to look like? Are people going to feel comfortable, um, to actually sit in a plane, even if they do every other seat where the, you know, the the seat next to them is empty. Are people going to feel okay with that? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know either. Right. I wouldn't. Yeah. Like even going to a restaurant, are people going to feel comfortable sitting, you know, especially like in a smaller setting, are they going to feel comfortable sitting, you know, next to someone they don't know? Like these are strange times. So I, I I wish I had the answer. I I, I think, I think what's going to happen is that people need to get out. Like people are getting cabin fever. I see people jogging, who don't normally jog in my neighborhood. Like there's, you know, like people are taking up new hobbies. So I think when we have the green light to be able to go and let's call it explore, I think, I think people will take car trips because you, it's safer. You're contained in your own vehicle, mm-hmm. in your space, you know, right. staying yeah. in hotels, who knows what that's going to be like. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I've heard talk about glamping being very um, popular going yeah. forward because you know you're you're not camping next to somebody that you don't know. Right, you know, glamping you know, is quite nice. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the work you've been doing in Toronto. You're involved with a number of community uh, projects, including Aloha Toronto mm-hmm. and Animal Defenders International. Just to name a few, tell us a little bit about those programs and how they're actually faring during this time. Sure. And like any other charity or business, uh, everyone is going through a hard time. And just to touch on the the other point, um, you know, with with people traveling, a lot of people have lost their jobs is what I wanted to, you know, share before. And I don't even know if travel will be an option like mm-hmm. normal travel, like a flight or even an all-inclusive or whatever people like to do. I don't know if that's going to be an option. But now going back to your question with, um, w- w- with what I do, um, it, it, it's interesting. So Aloha Toronto is an event that I do um, for free. And I offer it for free to um, families in the autism community. And it's a one-day camp where you know, like-minded people can come together and, you know, share stories and, and ideas. And, and, but what we do is take kids into the water. And so it, this is our ninth year. Um, and we're not going to be able to do it 
because, you know, COVID-19 is so uncertain. I mean, they're still slowly rolling out shops here in Toronto and they don't like, or businesses, et cetera. We don't really know what's going to happen by August is when I normally have my event. It's always the third week or the third Sunday in August. So I had to cancel this year and we're going to do something virtually where we're going to connect with families and, and just, and, you know, donate money to families um, who've really been impacted um, if they've lost their job or what have you. We're just trying to support in that way. Um, so, so that's how it's impacted us. And even getting funding uh, this year was a little difficult because of what's going on this year. Things mm-hmm. are so uncertain. Um, everything's kind of on hold. Um, so, I mean, we made the right decision to cancel um, because we just, we just want everyone to be safe. And then um, with ADI, ADI, um, how I was introduced to them is that, you know, my work with uh, the the, the G100 group, um, there's 100 visionaries, and one of the visionaries is the founder of Animal Defenders International, ADI. And um, what she does is remarkable. So over the past 40 years with her husband, uh, so her name's Jan uh, Jan Creamer, her husband is Tim Phillips. They actually go, they're British, but they actually go into countries like Guatemala, for example, they have a huge impact in South America and they'll change the laws of how animals are being treated, specifically how animals are being used um, like in a circus for human entertainment. And they they really try to... um, open our, a new perspective for us to understand that, you know, these are our fellow inhabitants. They're not there for our amusement. Like they mm-hmm. actually have lives too. They have families, you know, they have the need to be happy. Um, they have their own communication. Uh, they're beings just because they, we don't understand them and they don't look like us. It doesn't mean that we can just treat them the way they've been treated all along by putting them in zoos and, and what have you. And so they really, give these wonderful animals uh, a voice. And so after they've changed the laws, which, you know, you're in Washington, you know, <laughs> you know um, so you can imagine how difficult it is to do that. And again, like I said, they're British, but they'll go into these places and they'll work with the government. They'll change the laws. But then what, once they change the laws, a lot of people say, well, what happens to the animals, you know, that were in these circuses? Well, they'll, they will rescue them. And then they will bring them to their uh, natural habitat, which could be in Africa or in some cases to a big cat rescue in a, in a agreeable climate. You know, that's something that they, that they're accustomed to and they will live. These animals will live the rest of their life in, it's like a retirement home for, um, for like lions and tigers and, and primates. And a lot of people will ask, well, why, why can't you just put them back in the wild? Well, when an animal is uh, raised in a circus, their teeth are usually um, mm-hmm. shaved down mm-hmm. and they are declawed. So they, they wouldn't be able to survive or hunt or do anything. So, so she gives them this opportunity to, I mean, her whole, you know, ADI in general gives them this opportunity to live their best life. Wow, so these, awesome. These guys are the... Um, antidote to tiger king <laughs> exactly exactly and we did this wonderful interview with jan and tim yesterday on our little program we try to you know um promote the work of the community the g100 community and it, it's just so appalling because you know here netflix 
a lot of people, you know, <laughs> during the pandemic, you know, were watching Netflix or any of the other online streaming platforms. And so they have this captive audience and they have this wonderful opportunity to educate people. But instead, they decided to focus on this, like, really sleazy human story uh, and, and didn't even give attention to the fact that here, there's ways that you can help, you know, these animals or what, what they're doing with these animals is wrong. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it's, yeah, it's a bit upsetting. Helen, just to follow up a bit on ADI and tourism, so many places rely on zoos, aquariums, safari, yeah. and things based on experiencing animals and nature. Given where we are, what, what kind of future do you see for travel that is based around seeing animals and going to these places that are so crucial to so many communities and so many economies that are based on travel? around zoos and aquariums yeah it's 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 really hard to stop something that has been part of our history it's it's so archaic you know this these ideas of these these places for 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 our entertainment um i think as people become more aware uh more conscious that the, they they will realize that you know it's really not important for us to to go to these places because the zoo you know, if people really understood what a zoo was, like, it, honestly, as a kid, and I, I used to have a membership at the Toronto Zoo years and years ago, because I thought, what a wonderful experience to show my daughter these beautiful animals. But a zoo, um, the way it's set up is, is like, it, and I'm sure you've been to zoos as well. I mean, there's plenty of land and space for us to walk around and go to restaurants and the gift shop. And then when you look at the enclosures for the animals, it's really quite small. And the way they're designed, it's to put these animals on display. Now, these animals, they need to have their privacy too. They don't want it. Like nobody, no being wants to be, you know, in someone's face constantly. And so I, I just, I think it, like I was saying, as people become more conscious and, 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 and understand, you know, the, how these things really work, they'll eventually stop going. I did. And it's not like I'm this, you know, kooky advocate. I just made a conscious decision like, oh yeah, you know what? That isn't right. And I, and, and that's what it takes is that people to have a new perspective on these things. And then, you know, if we stop going to these places, they'll cease to exist. And then what does that mean for, you know, the economy? Well, I, you know, tourism, I mean, there's other things to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just one small aspect of it. There's so many other beautiful things to experience. Well, one of the things you may not know about us is that we've spent a lot of time in Toronto. In fact, Tanya and I got engaged in Toronto. I love this story. Yeah. Oh, you know, a few years ago, pretty much around this time. But, yeah. uh, and so it will always hold special memories for us personally and for me personally and my mom because I went there as a kid in 72 and it was oh, transformative. Nice. So what is it that you love about Toronto? Um, you know what? It's, that's such a great question. And it's, I guess I take it for granted because now you're really making me think about it. Um, I, I love that it's so multicultural um, because Toronto is made up of a – like a slew of immigrants. I mean, I'm first generation Canadian. My parents, you know, um, I came to Canada in the sixties. My mom was in her teens. My dad was in his early twenties. 
So, you know, and to start a new life and learn a new language. And there's so many other people who have that same story. And, and because we have this amazing sort of mosaic of, um, you know, this population of people from different parts of the world, you can really experience that when you go to dinner, like there's Greek town, there's Chinatown, there's little Portugal, little Italy. And, you know, it's, it's, and the the people who run this restaurant, you know, you know, that they're not, you know, that they're, they they became Canadians, but, you know, they still have their thick accents and and their old world ways. And, and, And I think that's what I love most about Toronto is that it's just so diverse. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, speaking uh, again of Toronto and uh, people who live in Toronto, what do you, what do you guys call yourselves? Like from my hometown of Michigan, we're Michigander. So what are you, Torontoian? Torontonians, yeah. Torontonians, okay. So we know, (laughs) I learned something. There you go. We know that, you know, acts of kindness, because we've seen for ourselves, is not uh, foreign to Torontorians. Um, and we've seen people really come out and, and support each other and rally uh, for each other. What acts of kindness have you witnessed that would even surprise you, the nicest person in Canada? <laughs> No, not the one of. Oh, the one of. <laughs> and I, I want the, after you answer that, I want the backstory of how that, okay. that award okay. came about. <laughs> sure. Um, you know what? It's, um, so I've been like in the last almost eight weeks now, I've been at home mostly. Uh, but when I go to the grocery store and, you know, we all have to line up six feet apart, you know, you just you just see people smiling more. And I'm not saying that people don't normally do that here, but I just see that people are engaging. Like they're really looking at you because you know, most of the time when you're walking around, people are looking down or at their phone. It's like this knowing look that people give you. And it's like, yeah, you know, how's it? Mm -hmm. It's like, they're saying the words like, how's it going? Or at least that's the impression that I get. And it's that little small thing. And I just think it's that connection is so nice because we're, we're all in this together. Yeah, our common experience for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, oh, can I just share one other thing? Sure. I, so we, I live in the beach of Toronto and we have a Facebook page and here's uh, another uh, act of kindness. So uh, a mother fox decided to uh, make the boardwalk, a part of the boardwalk where there was an opening, her den. And mm-hmm. she had her little... Baby. Oh my God, they're adorable. I think there's like three babies that she had. Now they're, they're growing. Obviously it's they've been there for, I think a few weeks now, roughly. And the outcry of, you know, cause people are going, you, you get those people who don't understand, you know, social distancing, you know, that, that, that applies to animals too. And they'll stick their head in the den. And so the whole community kind of rallied around this, this, this mother <laughs> fox and, and her den. And now there's a policeman standing guard all day. I know. And they have it fenced off to give her her space. Oh, I love uh, that. Isn't that. Sweet. That's so nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So with this pandemic, we've all been locked inside. And so there are places that have been part of our lives that we haven't been able to experience for weeks. So what are you looking forward to doing or heading to once this is behind us? You know, I just want to see my friends and family. 
you know, I'll do drive-bys, you know, where friends who live in condos and, and their, their window faces the street. I, I've, I've done this for, with many friends. I'll drive by and then open the sunroof, call them, hey, look down, hi, you know. <laughs> so I just want to be able to just hang out with friends and family because like, mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of this, you know, like Zoom calls or FaceTime calls. And I, I just, I miss that connection. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be anything grand. I just want to see people. That's it. Understand. Yeah. So let's pretend that the pandemic has passed and yes. we're all able to travel again. I'm at the airport already. No. Yes, there you go. So at the airport, if you could choose one person, past or present, to sit next to on a long haul flight, who would that be? Oh, Bob Marley was the first person that came to my mind. <laughs> Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just think he was, you know just an incredible human being you know considering he came from this really small I don't know if it was a village but a small area small town you know in in Jamaica who became and not because he became you know this international music star that's just a byproduct I think it's like what he represented and just how he lived his life and how you know he just tried to spread love and goodness and you know I just I would love to have a conversation with him Oh, says the one of the nicest people in Canada. <laughs> Ellen, thank you so much for, for joining us today, for sharing thank your story. You. We have a link to Helen's site, TripJaunt, as well as links to the community projects she mentioned on the show page at worldfootprints.com. You've been listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. Talking with Helen about Toronto kind of took me down memory lane to the time when you actually kidnapped me and took me to Toronto and surprised me with a proposal. Uh, Yes, indeed. It was uh, truly one of the highlights that we've shared, obviously, next to our wedding. But it was was a high-flying affair over Toronto that involved uh, a plane and a plane pulling a banner with a marriage proposal on it, so... Obviously, which I accepted. Yeah, yeah, thankfully, some 15 years later. (laughs) (laughs) As we get ready to celebrate our anniversary in just, just a short time. You know, and I was thinking about her work with Animal Defenders International, and I... I love zoos. You know, Little Zoo, I grew up around in my hometown of Lansing, Potter Park Zoo. But I never really thought until our conversation with Helen about what that means and, and, you know, the implications of a zoo. And one of the things that I did question is, you know, some of these zoos, like San Diego Zoo, Um, another zoo that's very close to my heart, and even the work that Jack Hanna is doing with the Columbus Zoo, some of that is rehabilitation work. And so I'm I'm trying to reconcile um, what 
she shared about zoos and, and how I felt about them growing up. I think there will always be a place for zoos, uh, perhaps not as we've traditionally known them, but uh, the work they do is important because much of that work actually helps to preserve species and helps to protect animals, and so it's important to have them. I think what we need to consider is how we go about taking care of animals once humans have uh, intervened in their life space. So zoos is really about us uh, finding better ways to uh, uh, respect animal life, I think. And so we're seeing that with zoos, we're seeing that with aquariums. We've all loved these places. They were a big part of our lives growing up and like so many things we're just having to rethink them but I think there's a future for zoos perhaps not as we've known them. I certainly hope that you know zoos are reconstructed in a way like the the place that we went to years and years ago Safari West you know those animals are on hundreds and hundreds of acres of land it's like a private reserve uh, Jack Hanna's The Wild also, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres. I think the thing that those types of reserves allow are the opportunity for people to interact and see the animals. And I think once, you know, they uh, have those animal encounters, they're more inclined to want to be protective of those animals as well. So, you know, the, when we started off talking to Helen, it was about the future face of travel. And, you know, we know how some people are going to travel. We know people will remain closer to home. But how do you think we'll travel? I think it remains to be seen uh, because uh, we're dealing with public health. We're dealing with technology. We're dealing with human nature and human behavior and we're going to have to find a way really to to manage through all of those dynamics and that's going to mean changes in everything from public transport to the way we sail on ships to the way we fly and everything else in between so I don't really have a good sense as to how this is all going to shake out but rest assured it's going to cost a whole lot of money to uh, bring back the confidence and uh, the safety that is paramount in any, any kind of uh, way we travel. And we haven't even touched on hotels, lodging, amusement parks, and a whole bunch of other things, restaurants, bars, a lot's going to change. Yeah, well, the way we travel generally is off the beaten path, and so um, we won't be around a lot of people anyways. I mean, these are truly unusual times, and I know... As we go through this together, it's my hope that we remember something that uh, Paulo Coelho said. He said, don't forget, beautiful sunsets need cloudy skies. And these are cloudy days for us. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're honored that you chose to spend this time with us. And you've allowed us to offer meaningful connections through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com 
and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Public Radio Exchange, and many more. Connect with the world with a deeper understanding through powerful stories. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and compelling articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter and receive a free gift. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast and website are those of the guests and authors and are not necessarily endorsed by World Footprints LLC. 